Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice what happens next will last forever the Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's over. We're free. They can't hurt us anymore. The 2023 Kansas City Royals are no more. We don't have to watch them anymore. We're still going to talk about them because that's the entire purpose of this podcast. But no longer shall we suffer the 2023 Kansas City Royals. Good morning, afternoon, evening to all of you wonderful ladies, gentlemen, and everyone else listening. This is the Royal Deluxe Podcast, bringing you breaking news and analysis of the Kansas City Royals every Monday, probably no longer any Fridays, at least not for the foreseeable future, because there's no baseball to talk about. Excuse me. Why is my throat suddenly super dry? I don't get it. The moment I open my mouth, it's like, oh, I can't talk anymore. Like, I've been walking through the desert. I have taken up walking lately because I walk five miles to my job <laughs> almost every day. Anyway. Um, bu- 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 oh, yeah. Uh, so we're going to still do Monday episodes pretty much until we have no more things to talk about regularly until uh, spring training and the regular season start up again. Um, in the meantime... 
you should check out fansfirstsports.com where over the offseason I do plan on writing written content for the website talking about the Royals. I think the first thing I'm going to write is I want to make a comparison about the 2023 Royals and the 2005 Royals because both teams share something in common besides the name Kansas City Royals and having Zach Greinke rostered. They both lost 106 games. The Royals avoided setting a new franchise worst record. They won two games in this three-game series against the Yankees, so they only tie for the worst franchise record of 56-106 and set in 2005. Um, congrats, I guess. We really thought it, w- it was going to be worse than that for a while, and it was... They made it close. They had to win that very last game in order to just have the tie. Would have been nice if they could could have won one game against the Tigers to you know make it a a little bit better, but whatever. Um, so I want to make a comparison with these two teams because I want to say like okay, no no longer is the 2005 Royals team officially the worst, and I do think that the 2023 Royals season was the official worst one. Just proportional to expectations this was the worst season but I want to say like is this technically the losingest Royals team ever how like like how much how how do I explain this I kind of want to say that like I kind of want to make this argument that even though these two teams have the same record I would still contend that in some ways the 2023 Royals were better than the 2005 Royals. And there are some, you know, faulty arguments that I have. It's a lot of BS. I'm, and again, let's not make any bones about it. This was the worst Royal season. I'm not even really trying to excuse or justify things that happened to the Royals. I, it's it's more going to be a comparison of what MLB is like today compared to how MLB was like in 2005. And besides all of that, the most important thing is not... This season, it's what happens afterwards because the 2005 Royals, they were preceded by a 104 loss season and then succeeded by another 104 loss season, I believe. So that was truly the the end times for the Royals where it's when it, it seemed like there was absolutely no hope whatsoever. I personally find it hard to believe that this team really is a hundred loss team going into 2024. And if even if we really do want to argue that the talent level is at that point, I'm sure the front office and ownership both know that they cannot allow this to happen once again. They do have some means of at least adjusting course so that we can't have another season like this next season. So what's most important besides, you know, the record, what's most important for the 2023 Royals is how do the 2024 Royals look? How does next season go? I've said this a lot over this season, like when trading certain players, making certain moves, whatever. The best way to correct a mistake is to improve upon it, to learn from it, to avoid making that same mistake again. And I do think the Royals... Since JJ has taken over over the last couple of years, rather, I feel like they had there has been this theme behind the scenes where they are trying to not make the same mistakes over and over again. I feel like 
the Royals nowadays are willing to recognize when things aren't going well for them and they're willing to do something different instead of just saying, ah, it'll work itself out eventually. So that's what's going to be most important. We're not going to truly see how bad the, the 2023 Royals are until we see the future of this team. Because back in 2005, it's like, yeah, that team lost 106 games because it really was just that bad. And there was nothing anybody could have done about it. I mean, David Glass could have done something about it. He could have, you know, not sat on his hands for a few years. But, I mean, and for, for what it's worth, things did change. 2006, Dayton Moore was hired, basically rebuilt the farm system and all that good stuff. Took 10 years for, for it to really show anything, for him to have anything to show for it. But, you know, at least eventually good times did come around for Kansas City. And I really hope that that will be the case once again. But again, MLB has been a, the MLB is a lot different nowadays than it was in 2005, even 2015. By the way, I meant to say that as part of all of this... um. Since I mentioned that I was going to be doing some written articles, if you want to keep up with those, um, I mean, obviously I'll mention them whenever I release them. I'll talk about them on the podcast a little bit, but uh, keep up with whatever else I'm doing at Royal Deluxe Pod. That's the podcast Twixer account for other baseball commentary. I might watch some postseason baseball and commentate on it as well. We've also got the Chiefs, of course, and everybody's talking about the Chiefs right now. Um, I totally missed the game on Sunday because... Uh, I was, um, I mean, I work overnight, so that was already, it's already difficult for me to do anything during the day, but I had a lot of stuff going on during the day, including the Royals game itself. I sat down to watch the Royals game because, of course, I was going to watch the Royals game. It's the last game of the season, maybe Zach Greinke's final game ever. Um, so by the time the, the Chiefs started playing at like eight, I'm like, I, I can't do this. I can't stay up. And I was already just cooked by 5 p.m. Um, but then I woke up and it's like, oh, uh, the Chiefs played like dog shit and still won. <laughs> that that sounds like a normal Sunday to me, frankly, as someone who just kind of passively <laughs> follows and roots for the Chiefs. Um, also, at the MF in KC, that's my real life Twixer account, so to speak. Uh, the one that I keep forgetting to use, but maybe in the maybe in the off season since I'm not going to have a lot of baseball to talk about I'll try using that a little little bit more maybe I'll make my life a little bit more interesting I don't know and as we wind down and have less to talk about in this um slow time this slow period this down period the w winter is approaching uh it would be even more important now than ever to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this on so that way you can get new episodes delivered straight to your feed as they appear, as they are made. And thank you very much for listening. Hope you're having a good one. Uh, we'll finally move out of the intro phase after nine minutes of this podcast. A water bottle just fell off my desk. Good thing it was closed. So, um, Royal season is over. Uh, like I said, they went. They they won two games against the New York Yankees. Uh, Would have been really funny if they swept. The Yankees, because that would have uh, delivered them a 500 season. It would have denied them a winning season, which would have been funny. Um, No, instead they go 82 and 80. Oh, poor them. Poor, miserable Yankees. But at least the Royals avoid setting a new franchise low. So that's good, I, I guess. Um, frankly, nothing this weekend happened that I wanted. Uh, the biggest thing is that the Mariners really needed to take a couple of games from the Rangers. Or wait, no. 
wait, no, the the Mariners needed to lose so that way the Rangers could keep winning because if the Rangers lost, that would have meant the Astros would win the division. Well, guess what happened? The Astros won the division. The Mariners had a terrible record against the Astros. They had a three-game series over the week, and they lost two of three to the Astros. And then they, I think, beat the Rangers two games to three. So remember when we played the Astros, we beat them five to one, and they were in first place when that started. We kicked them out of that. We kicked them out of the division race. We almost denied them a playoff spot. We took four games from them, all for the Mariners. And the Mariners gave four games back to the Astros. So they completely undid everything that we did for them. They completely reversed all progress that we made. Just screw you, Mariners. Screw you. You did literally everything wrong here. We did everything for you. I've never been more mad about a team that I'm supporting, a team that I am supportive of that's not named the Kansas City Royals. I shouldn't be mad about them because I'm, you know, I don't actively follow them or anything. I'm not all that invested in them. But god damn it, Mariners. Why did you do that? Why did you beat the Rangers? Why did you not beat the Astros? Like, like this was like a prank on everybody somehow. But why would you want to support the Astros? Like like this only hurts you. Now you're out of the playoffs. Oh, my God, dude. It's so... Ugh, this is... It's the worst. Like, how do the Astros keep getting away with this? How do they keep getting away with this? They just... All they... You know, I, I saw someone, like, rage posting about this on the baseball subreddit. I was like, how, how do the Astros keep getting away with playing badly but then making the playoffs anyway? And I And my answer is... Because they're the only organization in the American League West that isn't run like total shit. That's how. All the offseason stuff the Mariners did last winter uh, turned out to be terrible. A lot of the stuff the Rangers did turned out to be pretty bad. I mean, all they did was trade <laughs> the, the, the best pitcher in the American League for a closer. That's not even closing a lot of games for them. So, yippee. And then there's the Angels and the A's. Just, oh my god, dude. I freaking hate it's so annoying that the Astros are just so evil, and I and I want them to to fail. But then everyone around them, all the the people with the most power, have are, are, are the ones who are doing the least to them. It's just I'm 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 mad, man. I'm I'm so mad that the Astros won the division again. This is so stupid. A lot of the predictions I had in the offseason were totally wrong. I'm, I'm so sad. I was so confident in them. I worked really hard on them, and they were all undone. I said the Padres were going to win the division. I said the Blue Jays were going to win the, their division. I said the Mets were going to win their division. I said the Cardinals were going to win their division. The one thing that I was right about, somehow, was that I said the, the, not only were the Twins going to win the division, but they were going to have an 87-win season. Why was that the one thing I was completely right about? I don't know. I thought the Royals were going to have a 76-win season. <laughs> I was off by 20 games. <laughs> I was trying to be nice and conservative. I don't know, dude. Uh, what a what a what a weird season this was. What a very what a truly bizarre season this was. Like it feels like ev for for every single team, things went really awry. Unless you're the Orioles, I guess. But even then, the Orioles. Did Orioles fans expect to win 100 games? Did they expect to be the best team in the AL this season? 
maybe the maybe if you're a Braves fan, you thought everything went right and perfectly. That's that's the one team that seemed to do nothing wrong. Maybe the Dodgers as well to an extent. But even then, even the Dodgers for a while weren't looking like amazing. Uh, I don't know. All right, let's stop talking about stuff that it doesn't have anything to do with the Royals, frankly. Although the Astros stuff did have something to do with the Royals. I'm just, I'm so mad about that. It's just like it makes that whole stretch, that 10 of 11 stretch, just completely meaningless, completely pointless. God, frick, freaking Mariners. I'm never rooting for the Mariners ever again. I'm never supporting them ever again. I learned in the 2000s to not support the Mets because I was a Mets fan in the 2000s. After 2000, like 2006 didn't hurt me that much, but 2007, that broke me. That, that, that woke me up, and 2008 was just the nail in the coffin. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. Not doing this. And good thing I jumped off that train, because 2015 would have been real awkward. Anyway, I'm going to bring back a segment that I started early on in the season and just kind of dropped. Um, but it's going to be the deluxe moment. The joy it has been the last two years in his return to Kansas City. It might be over for Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke pitched the final game of the season, and he pitched a pretty good game. He went five innings, came back out for the sixth, gave up a leadoff walk that eventually came around to score, but that was his only run given up. Overall, he went five innings pitched, one earned run, two walks, two strikeouts, four hits. Solid game from Zach Greinke, to be completely honest with you. Um, because he's Zach Greinke, he hasn't said that he is officially retiring or, and that he has not officially retired. So nobody really knows what's going on. But at the very least, a tone was set suggesting that this is the end. Because I think if it, I think if he wasn't at least contemplating it, he wouldn't have, you know, kind of allowed all this to happen he you know walked off the mound the team around him everybody around him was all smiles he walked into the dugout he waved to the fans like he was actually like smiling and waving to people like he seemed to be really <laughs> genuinely enjoying the moment Zach Greinke the most immovable person in all of baseball was like happy for a moment he went to the dugout he was like high-fiving everybody he was all again all smiles all cheery came back out for a curtain call to wave to the fans again like who who is this man and what has he done with donald zachary Greinke? Oh, it was so it was so cool to see that i wish i could have gone to this game i wish i would have gone to this game if i didn't break my car going to a game Going to the Ned Yost game. How tragic. How unfortunate. But anyway. Um it was just a, it was just a really, really nice little send off. You know, for as controversial as Zach Granke kind of has been with the Royals, you know, getting you know, demanding a trade and kind of walking out of the, the city like that, the way he did, and then eventually seeing that those that, that trade ended up helping us quite a bit in twenty fifteen and then him coming back like I remember saying when I first started doing this podcast opening day 2022 like seeing people applaud Zach Greinke for that game because he pitched opening day that year it's like oh that was really nice I was I was kind of worried that he'd be back in KC and I felt like some people still kind of hate him for how he left earlier but then he came back and it's like all right th th things are good now we're, we're cool now everybody's cool now 
And, uh, yeah, just seeing him be applauded on the way out like that. Even as he's had a, a pretty bad season, for what it's worth, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was really nice to just see that in general. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Greinke for if he doesn't retire, or, or no, if he does retire, I appreciate that he's not making a big deal out of it. It, which I know is he's doing that because he's him and that's just kind of the person he is. But I'm also kind of I'm really jaded towards these like retirement tours that you get all around baseball. Like everybody's all up in arms about Miguel Cabrera. And look, no disrespect to Miguel Cabrera, no disrespect to Miggy or anything. But like everybody's like kind of OK, there is a lot of reason to celebrate Miggy's career and all of that. But the. I, I, just, I just have to be cynical about the fact that we're all like kind of worshiping this guy who's retiring now after he's been bad for seven years. Like, M Miggy has not been good since 2016. He has not been a remotely good baseball player since 2016. And why is he retiring now? It wasn't because he, you know, has been long incapable of playing in the big leagues. He's been making $30 million a year. Which, and, and I'm not... That's not his fault. I'm not saying like he's a bad person for that, and he's entitled to that. Like, it, like it's fine. I don't even really mean that. I don't even really mean this to be negative towards Miggy specifically. I guess I'm I'm just kind of jaded towards players who are retiring and it's then making a big deal out of it, even though they haven't really done anything productive in a long time. Kind of like Albert Pujols. And for what it's worth, Pujols last year was good, but like. Like I remember when the when the Angels released him in 2021, there was like this outcry among it was mostly like older people within baseball or something like media heads. They were like, "Oh, how dare the Angels do this? How dare they disrespect this player like this? Releasing such a legendary player like Albert Pujols mid-season just so disgracefully like this." It's like, "Yeah, because he's bad and he sucks." <laughs> like like I don't know. It's almost like the retirement aspect is taking away from the fact that there's been a lot of negatives along the way here is I don't know am, am I am I wrong for for saying all this am, or, or am I just salty that the Royals haven't had such a legendary player to have a retirement tour or, or and stuff like that maybe I'm just jaded because I remember Derek Jeter did this back in like 2014 and I wasn't even really like regularly following baseball back then but I heard about the Jeter stuff all the freaking time and it was like, oh my god, I love how this guy is just getting showered with gifts by every single team, and then everybody's like, oh wow, Jeter, he's such a class act, he's so classy, yeah, okay, I guess it's classy to be just told you're amazing all the time, and you just stand there and be like, yep, I know. <laughs> I I don't know, dude. Is it, is he the responsible for all these retirement tours? Again, I haven't been following baseball all that long, but is it, is it Jeter's fault that we have to have a retirement tour for people? I don't know, because also we had we had Big Poppy a couple years later, but at least at least Big Poppy was like legitimately really good when he retired. His 2016 season was amazing, so that was actually awesome. That was a banger year for him. That that would be really cool if if someone went on a retirement tour and they were actually like stomping on the league instead of you know a designated hitter with an OPS plus of eighty or something. Oh, sorry, eighty six. Whoa, yo, big whoop. Yeah, yeah, you should be retiring. Frankly, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true. I mean, in a way, Zach Greinke's not too far from that. 
You know, Zach Greinke has a five ERA. He has a record of two and fifteen, which, for what it's worth, is better than it was yesterday when it was one and fifteen. Thank you, Royals, for at least giving him a second win as he as he's uh, going out into the sunset. I don't know, dude. It's just retirement tours. I think they're kind of weird and awkward and a little bit lame, but whatever. I'm I'm glad we don't have to deal with that with Zach Greinke. It's just like okay. He's gone now. Well, that was nice. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was a lot more than nice. I really like Zach Greinke. I really appreciate him. What probably my favorite player in baseball, just in general, because he's he's just such an interesting guy. But I I honestly kind of feel like the, all of the weird quirks he has are fairly normal, and you just don't see them all that often because baseball players are put on this uh, pedestal or, or really just like any professional athletes like you always see them talk to the media and they always have to say this stuff and it's like the fact that Z- the fact that Granky doesn't do that is just like you know what I feel like that I, I feel like he's speaking for all of us for the people who feel like they don't they, they they don't belong in the spotlight I guess does that make any sense I don't know I just appreciate Zach Granky. I also I also uh <laughs> He's also a real-life inspiration because oftentimes whenever I see something that might cost a little more money than I'm, be- than I'm willing to part with, I think of his words about, the, about the, the 180 guacamole at Chipotle. And he's like, it's not about the guacamole itself. I just don't want them to win. I'll see, I will really do this sometimes in my life. I'll see something that I want, but then I see how much it costs. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think I should be spending this much money on this. I don't think I want it that much. And it's, it's, it's not that I can't afford it. I just don't want them to win. That's what I keep close to me. Like a month or two ago, I saw like this. What was it? It was, it was some kind of anime merchandise that I saw. And it was really cool and I liked it. But then shipping was like $30 for it. Like it cost more than the item itself. And I'm like, I don't want them to win. They're not. I can afford this. I can do this. It wouldn't really. It, it's not a big. It, it's not a big issue. But you know what? They're not going to get away with this. I will not allow this to happen. Anyway, um, I'm going to do a bit of an early commercial break for this episode. A little bit earlier than what we usually do because I have a segment that will take the entire rest of the podcast up, and it's going to be my 2023. Deluxe Awards. Hello. Yes, that's right. My the first ever awards show on the Royal Deluxe podcast are year-end rewards where I'm going to shout out some good and maybe less good things that happened with the Royals this season. Um I'll tell you all about it when we come back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Thank you very much for your patience and welcome to the first ever deluxe awards show on the podcast or whatever. The the Luxies. I don't really know what to call it. It's just a it's just a segment I made up like five minutes ago and I wrote down some things that I wanted to shout out. I've got some awards that I want to hand out to some special moments and players. And they are the biggest surprise, biggest disappointment, best game, worst game, best moment, the Hopeless Optimist Award, as I that's the only one that has a pretty name like that, least valuable player, and most valuable player. And most of these awards are going to have two different um, mentions. There's going to be an honorable, honorable mention for all but one of these awards, um, at least the non-player awards. And then for the actual player awards, I've got... Um, a pitcher and a hitter. So, let's hand out the the first Luxie, the first ever for the biggest surprise. My pitcher pick is um I'm gonna I'm gonna surprise you with this because you're probably thinking of someone, but I assure you that's not who I'm gonna give it to. I'm actually gonna give it to a Roldis Chapman. A Roldis Chapman for me was the biggest surprise of the year. I was not very enthusiastic about him being signed to the Royals. Didn't like him as a player, didn't like him as a person, but then he showed up and did some pretty amazing stuff with the Royals. He appeared in 31 games, pitched 29.1 innings, 2.45 ERA. Wasn't really used as a closer. He only made he only accumulated two saves, but most importantly, the Royals fixed this man. He was on a long multi-year decline he had he had gone from he was famous for throwing 105 at one point regularly throwing 103 and each year his velocity went down and down and down to the point where triple digits was a rare feat for him then he comes into the royals and he's back to throwing 103 they have officially have they have totally revitalized his career and they made him a very valuable trade asset at the deadline and all the royals got out of that was a pitcher by the name of Cole Reagans, who we will talk about 
a little bit later. Spoiler alert for this awards show, but I think Cole Reagans is deserving of some kind of award. Just not the biggest surprise. I mean, technically he could be the biggest surprise. He he could be. But I think without a role as Chapman, we wouldn't have Cole Reagans. So I'm putting Chapman in the I'm giving I'm giving the 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 the, uh, the Oscar goes to Aroldis Chapman for the for the pitchers. All right, uh, Chapman, do you have anything to say? No, of course you don't, because you're not here. Get out, get out of here. All right, now for the hitter, the hitter award for biggest surprise or the biggest surprise award for hitter, whatever. Nelson Velasquez, that's who it is. I'm giving it to Nelson Velasquez. Nelson Velasquez has been the biggest surprise as a hitter this season. This is a guy that another guy we acquired at the deadline for another reliever, except. A reliever that we didn't even expect to trade whatsoever. Like, we all knew Aroldis Chapman was getting traded. We knew he would be a hot commodity at the deadline. But then the Royals suddenly, at one point, like, right after the deadline even ended, they're just like, hey, we traded Jose Quas. And we're like, huh? You mean that that really mid-pitcher that we spent most of our time complaining about? You traded him? Okay, well, who'd you get? A quadruple-A outfielder that was just kind of blocked in the Cub system? You know what? Sure. Screw it. Why not? I'll bite. We'll take anything. We didn't really want Jose Quas around anymore. So the fact that they made a swap for literally anything, that's that's progress to me. Even if it's just moving deck chairs around, at least he did something. And all Nelson Velasquez did is hit 14 home runs in 40 games. He had a home run rate of almost 10%. I mean, it's a super small sample size, but you can't deny that kind of power. And, you know, he's taking walks decently. He's striking out a lot, but, I mean, as a power hitter, you expect that. Just overall, this dude has really surprised this season, hence the award. He could have been nothing, and I actually think the Royals were going to treat him like he was nothing or as, a, as a player, not as a person. He's a, he's, I'm sure he's a great guy. But, like, when they, when they called him up, and I think it was early August or so, I... Remember, they this was um, in place of it was either Drew Waters or Kyle Isbell. One of them left. They had like they 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 were placed on leave. I think it was Drew Waters, and they were so they were placed on leave, but it was only for a couple of days. So Nelson Velasquez gets called up, and that's obviously the Royals being like, all right, let's just get this guy in here and whatever. He'll, he's only he's only here to to fill a roster spot, and then once Drew Waters comes back, he'll he'll get sent back down. And then in the three games, or maybe it was only two games, I don't even remember specifically, but I do remember that in that super short time, he hit two home runs. So the, the Royals call this guy up with zero expectations, and then he hits two home runs. So then it's like, okay, well, now he has to stay on the roster because why would we send down a guy who hit two home runs in two or three games? That doesn't make any sense. And then they sent out Edward Olivares, which was a fantastic choice. I like that they did that a lot. And they just they just let Nelson cook. They just they just let Nelly nuke. That's the that's the that's the uh, that's the. The, that's the that's the that's the that's the meme, uh, so to speak. Nelly nukes. That's all he does. He just hits nukes. He just hits bombs. I think maybe the Royals were waiting for this to stop. He they were waiting for him to cool off, but he didn't. He he started his campaign with the Royals strong. He ended it strong. So I think that he's an opening day starter for 2024. Just keep letting him cook. I think he's really earned it. Fantastic little uh, surprise for this season. All right, now let's move on to the opposite of this award, the biggest disappointment award. For the pitchers, I'm going to give this to Brady Singer. 
Brady Singer was the most disappointing pitcher of the 2023 Royals. He pitched 159.2 innings, which is a career high for him, but he was shut down late in the season, really did not get through the end of the season very well, seemed to be fatigued, which is a little bit concerning because that doesn't seem like it was ever a thing that was ever a problem for him since he was a pro. Um, 5.52 ERA, 1.447 whip. Uh, his strikeouts were down compared to last year. His walks were up or compared to last year. Although one interesting thing about him is that his FIP was 4.27, which is not bad. 4.29, actually. Sorry. Um, so that's that's very doable right there. It's not like that. That's that's okay. Like if his if his FIP was the same as his ERA, then yeah, 4.29 ERA would be fine. If he pitched 160 innings with a 4.2 ERA, I mean, sure, maybe we could groan that it's not the the low three ERA he posted last year, but it's fine. That's still a usable pitcher right there, but not a mid five ERA. That's just bad, and it's hard to re- re- even really um deduce what specifically went wrong for Brady Singer this year. He just kind of seemed like he never really found his footing in this season. I mean, he did have a decent stretch, but then he lost it later later on. He lost it late in the season. So uh, all, all we can really do is, I mean, if, if the Royals are going to keep him around, like there people say that they should trade him, but I'm just like, who do you trade Brady Singer for? What do you even get out of him? I don't think that I don't think that any team is going to be looking for upside with Brady Singer. I mean, they probably will, but they're not going to give up whatever uh, upside that might bring because they're going to see, hey, this guy's been pretty bad most of his career, and that's what they're going to give up. They're going to give up the value for that, not just, oh, well, we think he can throw 200 innings to a three and a half ERA. He hasn't done that at all, so. I don't know. So if the Royals keep him around, hopefully they have a great plan for what to do with him in this offseason. And then, and then there will be a very large correction done to him because, well, I mean, last year has to be like, it has to be it. Like he, he has to be good or just get cut from the team or something. I don't know. But in any case, but in any case, um, Brady Singer was just really bad this season. And it was really disappointing after what he did in 2022. And for the hitters, I'm giving my biggest disappointment award to Nick Prato. Um, just Nick, Nick Prato is definitely someone who never really found his footing this season. I mean, he he did have to deal with injuries, had to deal with some options and stuff like that, the weird roster construction, all that sort of stuff. You know, some of that is out of his control. But even then, just like just if he could just hit. That's all he really needed to do. Like, it doesn't matter what position you play. Just hit the ball. That's always been his calling as a as a prospect. He's always supposed to be a guy who can just hit. I mean, obviously, he hasn't always hit throughout his entire career. That didn't really start until 2021. But you get what I mean, hopefully. He just needs to hit. And he really didn't do that. Even when he had a hot stretch early on in the season, um, it was still one that was based on lots of singles. Lots of lots of uh, lucky batted balls. He was still striking out a lot and not walking a whole lot. So once that batted ball luck ran out, which everybody knew it was, there wasn't anything to to cushion him. There wasn't anything to cushion his fall. So um, believe it or not, I have more to say about him a little bit later on. So uh, I'll just hold on to this and say that Nick Prada was a real disappointment this season. Let's get into the best game 
of the season. Um, there, you know, there weren't a lot of great games this season, unfortunately, but I do have my pick for best game the Royals played in 2023. It was actually pretty recent. September 24th against the Houston Astros. This was when they completed a three-game sweep of the Astros. They completed, they had, a, I think it was an eight-game winning streak at this point. Uh, and, man, we were just riding high from this. This was in Houston as well, so it was in front of a, a sold-out crowd. Man, imagine, like, 120,000 people paid to see <laughs> the Houston Astros play the Kansas City Royals. What a terrible weekend those people had. Um, and it was, and this was a really, really solid game. Royals scored a lot early. Both teams actually scored a lot early. This te- this this was a a six to four game after the third inning, and it ended six to five. So, really great offense early on, and then late game, really good pitching. And I remember being like super scared at the very end because James MacArthur was pitching. Um, uh, what's his freaking name suddenly I forgot the guy's name Jordan Alvarez was up to bat literally the scariest hitter to face in high leverage situations and I'm just like oh my god this is this is horrifying it's a one-run game there's someone on base I'm just like you know what I'm I'm a coward I would I walk this guy I don't care but um I don't know if if MacArthur struck him out or what but either way he got out of it Royals won and then man it was that was just so satisfying. That was definitely the most satisfied I was with uh, the Royals all game, all all season, rather. And then my honorable mention for this is going to be July 30th against the Minnesota Twins. Royals won this game 2-1. to one. It was a Sunday day game. It was the first time the Royals had won their third game in a row for that season. And this was kind of when that initial winning streak started they swept the twins over the weekend and then they would win four more games in a row after this so this at this point this was the highest point of the Royals season and it was um it was pretty fun it was a really really nice week I remember really enjoying that late July earlier August so much that was my World Series right there but how about worst game oh boy Oh boy, are there are there candidates for worst game of the season? Uh, the one that I'm going to give this to is May 4th against the Baltimore Orioles. This was in Kansas City. Final score was 13 to 10. So you know, for what it's worth, some good things happened. Some really good things happened. Obviously, Royals got a lot of offense this game. They scored 10 runs. So at least there were things to watch. But what makes this game really crushing is that like it's great that the the offense was there but they actually staged a comeback they actually went above and beyond this game the Orioles got on the board early they crushed us early they got to an 8-1 lead in three innings and then in that bottom of the third inning Royals responded with three runs on their own so at least you know this game is still watchable a little bit 8-4 to four, it doesn't look like doesn't look good this early on, especially you know with our pitching being so freaking bad. Jordan, it was a Jordan Lyles game, by the way. But then, the Royals just kind of kept hitting, and Jordan Lyles composed himself. He threw a couple scoreless frames, and the Royals just started hitting. 
I don't, I don't know what else to say. They just started. They just started hitting. They got on. They kept. They they kept pushing the Orioles. Kyle Isbell hits a home run. Vinny Pasquantino gets a single RBI. Now it's eight to six. Suddenly, okay. Uh, Michael Massey hits a double in the fifth inning to score another run. Now it's eight to seven. They're like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, this is actually pretty close. This this is this is pretty cool. Sixth inning, Austin Cox comes in, replaces Jordan Lyles, pitches a fantastic. Scoreless inning. Awesome. Love to see that. Royals don't score at the bottom, but at the top of the seventh, Austin Cox pitches another scoreless inning. Like, oh, man, this guy's freaking legit. Like, he was pretty, he was brand new to the league when we were in this game. So he comes in, pitches two scoreless innings against a really, really good team. Love to see that. Bottom of the seventh, Michael Garcia gets on base, steals third. Michael Massey walks. Kyle Isbell drives in a run. He singles. Bobby Wood Jr. singles. He drives in a run. It's now a 9-8 game in favor of the Royals, even though they were losing 8-1 just a few innings ago. That's awesome. It's freaking awesome. It's fantastic. Love it. Now, top of the eighth, Aroldis Chapman is pitching, and he gives up a run. So now the game's tied up again. Oh, wait, no, sorry. It wasn't a tie game. It was actually a two-run single. So now the Orioles are winning again, 10-9. Okay, well, we, we're, we're still close. We're still in this. Then the Royals do nothing in the bottom of the eighth. Top of the ninth, Amir Garrett's pitching. Single. Walk. Single. Strikeout. Double. Wild pitch. Walk. And eventually some outs afterwards. Because Josh Salmond actually pitched. So he gave up a wild pitch, which scored a run in and of itself. Gave up a walk. But that but the damage was done. Three runs in this inning. Royals score another run in the bottom of the ninth, but it's it's too late. Thirteen to ten. That's the worst game of the season. We had such a it, it was looking so miserable at first, with Jordan Lyles being so bad, but then the offense bails him out. We're we're building some serious momentum. Looks like some awesome stuff is happening, and then it just gets plucked away from us at the very end. It's like well. What was even the point of all of that? That's what makes this the worst game. It's that we actually had some hope for there for this one. It wasn't that it was completely unwatchable garbage. It's that it was completely unwatchable garbage, and then we had a reason to watch it, and then it turned out to not matter whatsoever. Sometimes I actually do think it would be better to just have nothing. <laughs> At least then you you know you don't get disappointed. You don't get heartbroken like that. Speaking of, my honorable mention would be opening day. First game of the season. Uh, what day was this? March 30th or so. Yeah, March 30th. Uh, Twins won 2 to nothing. Royals had two hits all game. The Twins had 11 hits. They only had two runs because nobody could score. It was just it was just a bad baseball game, frankly. It was just a super, super boring game of baseball. And it just sucks that myself and 40,000 other people went to this game. All hopeful and, and bright-eyed about this new Royals team. Like, hey, think th- this is going to be a better season. Little did we know that this would actually set the whole tone of the season. Just crushing disappointment. Boring disappointment a lot of the time. Honestly, this really set the tone for the early part of the season. Those first two months, man, was that some terrible baseball. Yeah. How many times did we get, sh- did we get shut out in April? 
eight times or something. I feel that feels like an exaggeration, but I I bet if I looked up the actual number, I'd be like, oh no, I was actually pretty close, and it really was that bad. Uh, well, that's the only. Well, that's not the only or last negative award we have. We still have some others. Let's just get back to talking about positive stuff. The best moment of the season. I've got this. Payoff pitch. Hot drive. Deep left. Grand slam. Bobby Witt Jr. wins it. Bobby Witt Jr.'s walk-off Grand Slam, July 28th, 2023. This was against the Minnesota Twins, part of that series where we swept them. This was the first game. This was the first game of the seven-game winning streak. So actually, this was the high point of the season, the highest point of the season to that point. Um, and it not and not only was it a was it a walk off, but it was an extra innings walk off where we were behind. So just. Such a satisfying moment, and the fact that it was Bobby Witt Jr. who who did that. This was a moment where we realized he is him, and it really did seem like that energized the team and turned things around, if for but a brief moment. So that was, if I could just think of one individual moment, one individual play from this season where we that we can really hang our hats on, it would be that walk-off Grand Slam. I don't have an honorable mention for this. Um, for this award, unfortunately, but that's fine. This was this was good enough. Now I've got the Hopeless Optimist Award. This um this award is for someone who didn't have a, a a good season, but I am still hopeful for them in the future. I think they still did some things right, and I think that 2024 is going to treat them much better. So the uh, the Oscar goes to whatever, MJ Melendez. I'm going to give it to MJ Melendez. I was really criticizing this guy a lot in the first half of the season. Credit to him. He got a lot better after the All-Star break. Post-All-Star break, he hit 273 with a 352 on base and a 485 slugging percentage. That's an 836 OPS. He hit 10 home runs. He walked 10.7% of the time. Struck out 26.2% of the time. Both of those are reasonable numbers for him. He had a 6... He had a... uh, It's not a 6. He had a 202 isolated power, which is 61st in baseball. So that's pretty decent. He uh, had the 4th highest exit velocity after the All-Star break. uh, Just in general. 93.5 miles per hour. 4th only behind Aaron Judge, Ronaldo Cunha Jr., and Rafael Devers. And he barreled the ball 11.4% of the time. That's 41st in baseball. Overall, after the All-Star break, MJ Melendez hit at a clip of 120 weighted runs created plus. I I personally was hoping to see more of a patience-oriented approach. But even if I didn't quite get that, I do feel like he has swung at bad pitches less than he did in the first half. Because that was always the thing that I was criticizing a whole lot. Like, oh my god, he's swinging at these terrible garbage pitches. He keeps chasing. But he seemed to slow down on that. He seemed to lighten up on that in the second half. I think that the next step forward for MJ is just simply getting the the barrel on the ball a little more often. Because I said fourth in baseball and exit velocity. 
the thing that's separating him from that from basically from his peers is that he isn't barreling the ball as much as those guys. So that's kind of why he has fourth highest exit velocity, but only 61st isolated power, which, which, which is not bad. Don't get me wrong. 61st in all of baseball. So he's still in, you know, uh, the, uh, one of the upper tiers of all baseball players. And, and I only sorted by uh, qualified hitters, but just in general, it does look like MJ Melendez has turned it around. I'm going to pencil him in on the, 26-man roster for opening day 2024. I think that he's a corner outfielder, maybe just a DH at this point, but that's fine. I think he really can hit. I think he's showing us that he is capable of being a good major league hitter, which is all we've ever asked him to be. And I do have an honorable mention for this one. I'm going to give this to Michael Massey because Michael Massey had the worst April ever, his the worst opening month in literally all of baseball. If you separate that month from the rest of his season, his numbers look way better. So going from May 1st onward, he hit 245 with a 296 on base and a 429 slugging. He hit 15 home runs. He walked 5.9% of the time, struck out 17.8% of the time, and he had a very low BABIP. He had the 14th worst BABIP in all of baseball over this time. Six, uh, 262 was that number. And that that, accum- that amounts to a 93 weighted runs created plus. So I think that with Michael Massey, like his numbers haven't, you know, these aren't amazing numbers. No, these are like particularly outstanding numbers. But I think he can still get the walks up just a little bit. Strikeouts are just about fine. But that batted ball data is very, is very interesting. It does show that the process itself is fine. It's workable. It's usable. He really just did run into some unfortunate luck, and that's just the kind of thing that will just it'll just turn around eventually. It's kind of out of his control there. Um, but even then, just even just a 93 weighted runs created plus, that's still doable for a second baseman, especially one who is as defensively gifted as he is. He is a plus defensive second baseman. Second base is not a very offensive heavy position. So you can afford to be average, a little bit low average at this point. I'm going to stick with him in 2024. I think he's the starting second baseman moving forward. And now let's get into let's get into the big boys. This is almost like you know the end of the awards show where they drop the the biggest awards, the best director, best picture, best actor, all that good stuff. Let's start with the least valuable player. Ooh. Oh boy, do we have guys to pick from on here? I'm going with Nick Prado. I'm sorry, Nick. I I have to. Look, there might have been worse players on the Royals, but the important thing is that they didn't actually play that much. Like, yeah, Hunter Dozier was garbage. He w- he technically was the worst player on the Royals. Maybe even Jackie Bradley Jr. Jackie Bradley Jr. was garbage, but they didn't play that much. You put those two together. They played fewer games than Nick Prado did. Nick Prado played 95 games and had a ne- had a war on baseball reference of negative 1.3. Like you can you can say, you know, Jordan Lyles was terrible. He also had a negative 1.3 war, but at least he threw 177 innings. Like he played a lot of this season. Nick Prado only really played half the season and he was really bad for that entire time. 
Now, the thing is, his slash line doesn't look completely terrible when you just look at it at a glance. 232 average, 307 on base. Those are those are okay. Those are those are acceptable. 353 slugging, though. That's low, especially for a guy who was supposed to be a power hitter as a prospect. He had seven home runs this season. You know, last season when he first came up, he wasn't exactly mashing the baseball either, but he had seven home runs in 49 games last year. This year, it's 95 games. Uh, He only had 23 extra base hits in general including those seven home runs. He walked 8.4% of the time. Okay, acceptable. He struck out 40% of the time. No. No, I'm sorry. It doesn't I don't care who you are. You can't do that. Like sure his OPS plus is 82, which isn't, you know, it's really bad, but there are guys on the team that had a lower OPS plus for the season. Michael Massey had a lower one this season. Kyle Isbell had a lower one this season. Michael Garcia was only 88. So he's not that much higher. Drew Waters is 85. But at least those guys have some kind of positional value. They have a, they have some strong defensive value that makes up for that somewhat. I mean, I mean Kyle Isbell had a lower OPS plus, but according to baseball reference, he was a two-war player. So he, he was actually pretty helpful for the team despite having a really bad bat. Yeah, Nick Prados was apparently better, but so so but but 3.3 war worse. Than Kyle Isbell this season. Yeah. Um, Nick Prado just, it was kind of tough watching him at the plate because he just did not have any consistency to his game whatsoever. It's like he just did not have an approach that worked ever. Sometimes he would take some really good pitches. Sometimes he would take some really obvious pitches that he should have swung at. Sometimes he would, you know, think to not chase some really bad pitches. Sometimes he would, but the most disappointing thing, again, is that total lack of power. Like, this is a guy who hit 40 home runs in the minor leagues. Where is the power? Like, he's not even posted, like, it's not even like the underlying data is good where it's like, oh, well, at least he's hitting the ball hard. He's, you know, barreling it. He's got good exit velos and stuff like that. It's like, no, he doesn't have any of that stuff. I mean, it's not complete piss garbage, but it's still not... Even cl- it's not it's absolutely not at all befitting of a power hitter or someone who's supposed to be a power hitter. It's just it's just been really bad, and I'm not sure what the deal is. Like I I this is kind of like a puzzle box right here, and I'm not the one who's going to be able to figure it out. I don't know what's wrong with Nick Prado, but it he needs to figure it out. That's that's the ultimate truth right there. Something needs to be figured out with him. Hopefully in the off season this will be uh, worked on. I don't know. Or maybe, you know what, maybe working on stuff too much is an issue. That's, that also happens with players. Some guys, you know, you always hear about a guy who every single season, every half season, he changes his swing, he changes his stance, and then it's just like he just completely forgets how to hit because it just doesn't, he just doesn't know what to do anymore. It's like you, you tinker and modify and adjust so much, you just kind of forget who you are and what you originally did, what, what, what was supposed to work. Maybe that's happening with Nick Prado. I don't know. Just a random theory. But clearly, I don't know what's wrong with him. If I did, I probably wouldn't be doing this show right now. I'd probably have a much more important job somewhere. But I do have a pitcher nomination for least valuable player. And you probably know who it is. Did you guess guess Jordan Lyles? 
because you'd be wrong. It's actually Taylor Clark. I'm giving it to Taylor Clark because you know what? Yeah, Jordan Lyles sucked, but at least he did his job technically, which is that he ate innings. That was obviously the goal. That was all he was ever supposed to do. So he threw 177 innings. Royals haven't had a guy throw that many innings since Jacob Junis in 2019. Should he, I mean, he could, it would have been nice if he pitched better innings, but you know what? He did something. He had some kind of objective role on the team, so I appreciate that, if nothing else. My honorable, not my honorable mention, my pitcher, my, my the least valuable pitcher is Taylor Clark. I'm giving it to him. You know, I didn't really realize how bad it was until I actually looked at his game logs, and his season is literally a tale of two halves. First 30 innings pitched, 2.7 ERA, 3.49 FIP. Opponents only hit 259 against him with a 393 slugging. All right. Pretty good. Good pitcher right there. Good reliever. Good guy to have in your bullpen. Since then, 29 innings pitched, 9.31 ERA, 6.7 FIP. Opponents hit 344 against him. They slugged 623 against him with nine home runs given up in 29 innings. Yeah. So Taylor Clark, sure, his numbers might, at the end of the season, 5.95 ERA, 5.07 FIP, but doesn't tell the full story. He was horrifyingly bad for half the season, literally half the season. I have no idea what to even say about that. I don't know what went so wrong. I don't know why he immediately just flipped between great and terrible Do the Royals know what could be done with him? Will they figure something out with him? I have no idea. Do they just cut him in the offseason? Maybe that's for the best. Just very, very strange seeing what happened with this guy. We thought this guy was going to be a a decent trade piece at the deadline, and instead he just, you know. At first it was looking like he just had a bad stretch leading up to the deadline, but the bad stretch never stopped. It never got better. He never stopped being bad, so... Yeah, uh, just a a massive yikes from Taylor Clark. I'm making him my least valuable player. On the pitching side, at least. He had a negative .9 war, so he technically wasn't as as unvaluable as Nick Prado. Congratulations. And now, our final award, our biggest award, our highest honor. It's the Most Valuable Player Award. The Most Valuable Player Award. You know we've we, we've talked about hitters first and then pitchers second, but I'm gonna I'm gonna swap it last second for this one. My most valuable pitcher, you know who it is. Come on, it's Cole Reagans. Let's go, Cole Reagans. Two point six four ERA in seventy one point two innings pitched, two point four nine FIP. So it's not even like he's been super lucky or anything. It's not like I don't know. He's just on a heater. All every everything he is doing is fantastic, except for maybe he's walking a few too many guys. Three point four walks per nine, but he makes up for that with the strikeouts. Eleven point two strikeouts per nine. That is elite, right there. Six point three hits per nine. That is elite, right there. So sure, he's walking a few too many guys. He still has a whip, just barely above one. One point zero seven four. This guy is. A godsend. If you're if you're happy that the Royals 
didn't set a new franchise worst record, thank Cole Reagans. Give him like a written letter of thanks because it is literally because of him. If it if we did not have this guy, we probably would have contended with the A's for having the worst record. The A's finished 50 and 112. I really legit think that the Royals could have been at that level if not for Cole Reagans. The team went 6 and 6 in his starts, which feels disappointing in and of itself because this guy had a 2.6 ERA. You mean to tell me you had only, you only had a 500 record when he pitched? Like I'm not talking pitcher pitching wins and losses or anything. Those he was 5 and 2 in those. I'm talking like just games in general. When Cole Reagans pitched, the role the, the, regardless of what he did, the Royals went 6 and 6 in those starts. So, Cole Reagan single-handedly gave us 6 wins this season. Now, what do you do with the other six games? I mean, it, it, they gave like those six losses. Those were what 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 they were. Let me let me let me start over here. The Royals lost six games with Cole Reagans on the mound. That means they would have lost with anybody on the mound. It doesn't matter who they had. They could have had you know prime Gob, Bob, prime Gob, yeah, prime Bob Gibson or something. You know, it doesn't matter. They would have lost those games. What do you do with those other six games, though? The six games that you won because Cole Reagans pitched in those games. That's what's that's what that's what terrifies me. That's what keeps me up at night. Where would we be if not for this guy? We would have had a much worse season. That's the answer. He was by far the most valuable pitcher on the Royals, despite only only throwing despite only appearing in 12 games, despite only making 12 starts. He was only around for a short time this season. But now, moving forward, we have him for another few years at the very least. And we got him for a Roldis freaking Chapman. J.J. Piccolo, this does not absolve you of everything. This does not make you a perfect GM, but at least for this one, you can take a bow. What a freaking masterclass by J.J. Piccolo for acquiring this guy. What a masterclass by the scouting department, by the pitching, coaching, the developments department, whatever you want to call it. Whoever whoever deserves credit for having Cole Reagans on the Royals, great job. Great freaking job. This was a an overwhelming success beyond anybody's wildest imaginations. He single-handedly changes the outlook of this franchise moving forward in a positive way, a very positive way. I am so excited to see what this guy can do moving forward. I am so excited to get a full season of Cole Reagans. Remember, we got to get the bad vibes out and all that. And now for the hitters, the most valuable player, most valuable hitter, you... You know it's Bobby Witt Jr. Come on. Bobby Witt Jr. is so freaking good. He is him. He has arrived. Bobby Witt Jr. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the most exciting thing. He's only going to get better. This is not the best we have seen from Bobby Witt Jr. Now, it is a little bit, in a way, disappointing that he didn't get his 50th stolen base and that's because the Yankees are freaking cowards because they had him picked off essentially and he almost made it back he almost avoided it Yankees challenged it because he was called safe on the field they challenged it and Unfortunately, they were right objectively, but they're still cowards. They're still losers for doing that. Freaking no fun allowed Yankees 
just uh, whatever. But you know what? It's also Bobby Wood Jr.'s fault for not getting his 50th stolen base because he decided to hit a triple for his second hit. He gets on base one time and then later on hits a triple. And there's something funny about that. There's just something funny about seeing a guy be like, I don't care about the accolade. I don't care about the achievement. Whatever. I'm just going to do the best thing I can possibly do right now, which for that moment was hit a triple. He didn't stop to think, oh, I'm going to get a stolen base instead. He's like, no, I'm just going to run to third base. That's way more. Be- that's way better. Um, and that scored a run. So, you know, it was productive because Salvi had a sack fly after that. If, you know, if he stopped at first or maybe even second, I mean, I guess he could have stolen third and that would have, you know, ended up leading to a sacrifice fly. But still, he just thought about what would be best for the team right now. If I hit a triple, not if I stop short for a single and then steal a base later on. It's like, you know, when a guy needs a single for the cycle and then they just hit a double. It's just like, yeah, whatever. I don't care about the cycle. I'm I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take the extra base hit instead because that's just better. So, sure, I guess the the stat line isn't as sexy or whatever. But he has 11 triples for the season. That's the most in baseball. So that's something he can hang his hat on. He hit 30 home runs, 28 doubles, and 49 stolen bases. He does it. The power-speed combo is just, I would say it's unheard of. It's elite. But unfortunately, Ronald Acuna Jr. decided to go 40-70 or whatever. Wow. Brag about it. But you know what? That guy's been in the, in the leagues. That's good. That guy's been in the majors for six years already. So... Bobby Witt Jr., he did this in his second year. 270, 319, 495 is the slash line. He had a 114 weighted runs created plus this season. That's 60th in baseball. Pretty good in and of itself. But then you take into account that he's also one of the best fielders in baseball. He jumped from second percentile in outs above average last year to 99th. Yeah, he went from garbage to elite in one season at the shortstop position. So that's just, I don't even know, I don't even understand how that happened, but good for him. Awesome, just great. Knew, knew, he, knew he had it in him. But again, what's so awesome about Bobby Wood Jr. is that not, not only did he do this in his second year, but obviously this is not the best of him yet we haven't seen the best of Bobby Witt Jr. Here's what's so exciting to me. I said that he hit 270. His expected batting average was 296. He slugged 495. His expected slugging is 535. So in a way, Bobby Witt Jr. underperformed what he is actually capable of, what he was actually capable of this season, which again, expected stats no fault of his own. That's It's just a little bit of evidence to suggest that there is a lot more that this guy is capable of. And again, his second season in the majors. Last year, he walked 4.8% of the time. This year, 5.8%. Last year, he struck out 21.4%. This year, 174 The year-to-year improvements are legit. It's only going to continue. It's This guy has nowhere to go but up. The Royals need to give him a 13-year contract this offseason. They need to do that. I don't care if you're afraid of that. I don't care if you think, oh, the Royals can't afford to whiff on a player with $30 million. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. You 
take your freaking chances with this guy because you're not going to get another one of these guys. At least you can't expect to get another one of these guys. Maybe next maybe next year we'll have the number one pick in the draft. Get the bad juju out. Um, what was I saying? I don't know. Just Bobby Witt Jr., he's him. I really think that he has arrived. He is performing at least up to expectations and that he can still get better. I had a lot of fun watching Bobby Wood Jr. play baseball this season. It was really, really exciting. And I'm excited to see many more years of Bobby baseball in Kansas City. So he's my most valuable player of the year. Not just for, not just for pitchers and hitters, but just in general. He was just fantastic. And yeah, that's it. That, those are the those are the awards. I don't have any uh, like silly honorable mentions or other awards to give out. That's just it. Yep. Uh, so that's about it. That's the that's going to do it for me today, and that's going to do it for the Royals this season. The Royals season is over. So what do we do now? Um, so next week. I'm going to do a bit of a roster review. I'm going to rate. I'm going to do review and critique every player that played for the Royals this season. I'll probably have to do a. This will probably be a two-parter where I do hitters one episode and then pitchers the next episode. I'm definitely. I'm definitely not a. You know, I, I'm definitely not above um, splitting up podcasts so we can have more content this winter because it's going to be a long winter but hopefully an exciting winter where front office and ownership decides that they were going to do some uh new stuff for this uh for this team they're going to go out and get some players that can help us win games what a concept right hopefully maybe we'll see but whatever happens we'll talk about it when we get there i'll see you next week until then this is the end of the Royal Deluxe Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed it, I would appreciate it if you rated it and reviewed it and subscribed to it on whatever podcast platform you listen to this on. It would help me out a whole lot. You can follow me at, at Royal Deluxe Pod on Twixer for more baseball commentary and analysis, even as the Royals aren't don't have any more baseball to play. And other stuff can be found at the MFNKC, also on Twixer for, I don't know, more general stuff, I suppose. And further inquiries can be sent to royaldeluxepodcast at gmail.com. Give some feedback, ask some questions that I can maybe read on the show. I don't know, just a suggestion. Whatever it is, I would love to hear from you. But if you don't do any of that, no hard feelings. I love you all the same. And I thank you very much for listening to the Royal Deluxe Podcast. Thank you very much for making this podcast a part of your day, a part of your week, a part of your year. However long you've been listening to thank you very much i hope to see you again next week or some other time in the future have a good one everybody i've been lux go royals <laughs>